Welcome back to another episode of the Artburst Commerce Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Levy, and we are sponsored by Masters in Motion. This week is with cinematographer Marshall Adams, ASC. Um, I was luckily able to have a face-to-face interview with Marshall. We uh, got together right before um, quarantine started, really. So it was something where we uh, we definitely felt it in the air. Um, there was a sense that once this interview was over, in the next couple of days, that we would be going into a lockdown um, so that, that was kind of in the air, but it was, it was great hanging out with Marshall. Um, I had first met him at, um, the last Masters in Motion, actually. He was a speaker and a presenter, and he also did a, uh, a workshop that I helped, uh, gaff for him, and it was, um, a lot of fun hanging out with him. He, his background is that he, uh, currently has been shooting a lot of Better Call Saul. Uh, he also shot, um, El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie, and he also did an episode of, of Breaking Bad when it originally aired. Uh, he has a long history of being in television, and we, we spoke about, we spoke about that, um, how he's kind of always been in television, and how that, um, how that career history has, uh, happened for him, and how he's ended up where he is now. Um, right before, quarantine stopped uh, all film production he was working on uh, the next season of servant which is m night Shyamalan's uh, apple plus show and so he was uh, in philly for uh, the filming of that i think m night does a lot of his production out of philly since he lives there and so um an awesome conversation it's it's been rare that we've been able to do face to face now that i'm starting to speak with people who uh, don't either aren't in, in new york or don't have uh, the time to get together in person so it was really nice to actually be able to do that and um you know i think uh that's allows for some of the best conversations to happen so really enjoyed speaking with marshall and uh, like i said that we originally met him at masters in motion masters in motion is the sponsor of this podcast and it is a three-day filmmaking conference that happens every december in austin texas uh presenters like marshall other asc cinematographers ac editors big time production designers come down um they give lessons, and not only that, but it's really more about a hangout and a social scene, going out to the bar afterwards and being able to pick the brain of uh, some of your favorite workers in the industry. And so, uh, yeah, this is uh, Marshall Adams, ASC. Thanks for being here. Well, normally, you know, I start off by asking how things are going, but we're obviously in some very weird times um with the virus and everything and i know that uh, everybody's shows and stuff are being shut down and that yours was just shut down as well what, what have you been working on uh i've been working on uh, an m night Shyamalan show called servant second season then. cool and it and it just shut down yeah um, it did. but ha- how has it been sorry we just finished the sixth episode uh and we're just about to start the seventh so yeah we shut down on friday yeah and we, we were talking a little bit about about the the show more in general general terms and working with um a director um what what was her name uh, isabella Eckloff. isabella yeah and she like um somewhat somewhat young and, and and working on this and then also you were one of the other directors was m night for one of your episodes and just yeah. talking about like the aesthetic feel and how it <clears throat> how you're kind of matching between the episodes or if you're if you're not and i thought it was just interesting how you were talking about how um yeah, you're kind I mean, of just basing it more on the script and not not having like really set rules that you're trying to adhere to yeah, for it. Yeah, I mean, most shows that I've been involved with don't necessarily have very set rules. I mean, there's always a Bible of some sort that mm-hmm. kind of keeps a through thread. But I mean, the 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 thing that makes each one kind of special on their own is the fact that the directors all kind of bring a different vision. And uh, Knight brings that to kind of a new level because he brings in lots of younger. Uh, people that you know that have directed. Yeah, it's cool how he tries to pick talent yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, features that have really caught his attention with a, you know the stylistic feel that he thinks would fit the show. So yeah, that's what he hopes that they bring. And if it's not exactly the same as the last person, then you know that's that's what makes it special. Considering then that that in that type of instance, the DP is kind of like the glue between the episodes, since the directors are different. Are, do you feel like it then becomes your an onus on you that, I mean, of course you're listening to what the director wants, but you're figuring out ways to have a cohesion there that in any sense, because you're either because of how you're lighting it or, or yeah, certain I'm, types of things. Or I, uh, I mean, I've definitely done that on network shows, yeah. uh, but, um, lately it's, it's, you know, it's just not been part of my job description. I, I'm really mm. there to try to help the director bring whatever vision they've got, however crazy it is 
because you know it's uh, you know I'm not the I'm not the cinematography police. It's yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. Trying to <laughs> trying to you know to do something special and and oftentimes you know there's uh, the one thing that we never have enough of in television is time. Yeah. So you can't cover it two ways. You can't you know. So uh, you got to make a decision and go for it. And and it, the and the the, the kind of the more adventuresome, the better. It must be interesting going through a season then and working with the different directors and seeing how they're handling the content differently, especially when you're shooting in a lot of the same locations and same rooms. I mean, that must be just interesting yeah, at, no, at the least. And always kind of trying, you know, they're, they're oftentimes trying to find a new angle or a new shot that, that it hasn't necessarily been done, which is, you know, in yeah. a house, that's, that's can be a tough thing to do. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, and, you know, and I have to say that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one of actually four directors of photography that was on this season, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so you know it's kind of spread around a bit. Um, so I've I've been I've literally only done two of the four episodes that I think I'm going to do this year. Right, right, right. Well, cool. Um, I know that I wanted to kind of start back from the the beginning of your career and kind of chat our way through it. Looking at, at the beginning and knowing that you came up through. G&E primarily. I, I was caught off guard last night. You were talking about how you were also a camera assistant at times, but that you, you felt like that was really not your not your bag. And I was curious to hear, like, what, what about a seeing work that you felt like didn't, didn't jive with you? Uh, I, you know, good assistants, I think, are incredibly thorough and incredibly attentive and just focused on the camera only. And, and my... I found that I was constantly being distracted by, you know, interesting shots and, uh, and interesting lighting and things that I wanted to learn. And, uh, and, uh, there was a famous, I had done this movie. Uh, I was the first AC on a movie that went to, uh, to Molokai in Hawaii and, uh, I drug a, a BL one, if you can believe it, uh, with a blimp zoom lens up and down the beach for four weeks. Uh, actually prepped that camera and Rob Keslow's garage, Bob Keslow's garage, if well. you can believe it, it was like one of his first cameras. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so we, uh, we came back to Southern California. We were working in 29 Palms and we had a shot, you know, it was typical low budget. It's a, it's a hostess tray mm-hmm. and it's the, you know, you get the camera rolling, the director's in the back, ducks down, you know, cause it's a very wide mm-hmm. shot. And the camera rolls away and, uh, and comes back. Everything's fine. I check the gate. Everything looks great. Focuses, everything's on. So we move on. So the next night we're at Photochem watching dailies and he hits the sticks, hands the slate to the director. Uh, they go over a bump. The, the mat box swings out into the frame and sits there oh, the entire shot. Uh, uh, they do three or four takes, and then and no one and he calls cut, nobody notices, uh-huh. and he hits the brakes, and the mat box swings over and slams shut. Oh, God. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you never so, knew. And of course, like a good assistant, I'm sitting in the front row, you know, watching, and I could just feel the eyes burning a hole in the back of my neck. I was like, okay, this, this is just not for me. Yeah. You know, it's just not for me. Oh, that's a great story and an incredible, like, tipping point for not doing it. But switching over to G&E, what were the thought process there was because you were just enamored with the process yeah, and the lighting? I, mean, I think as most people start out, you know, you kind of you kind of see it as, you know, a very laborious job. And maybe, you know, you'd want to look around and see if there's, you know, if there's something that fits you better. And, and I ended up going back to it out of a labor of love that, you know, I really enjoyed what I was learning realized that I missed it a lot and what were you uh, enjoying so much about it in particular? just watching other people work watching other people light watching you know the way they're 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 you know interpreted a set and 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 you know what they brought to it yeah. and uh and you know I mean as you well know you know when you walk into a, a location and uh, you know what you start with and what you finish with are two completely different things and, yeah and that takes time to develop that eye, and it's uh, and it's something I, I was really excited to be able to do. And you felt that being in G&E was helping you develop your eye better than if you were coming up camera side. Yeah, and I don't necessarily know why, but I, I think... I it mean, makes part sense, of it I was, think. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was the appeal, you know, just the, the interaction with the stuff and being able to to be there doing it rather than, you know, watching from a distance. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, 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 you know, like I said, I think good camera assistants are very busy, of which I was not a good camera assistant. <laughs> but um, in watching their camp, so I'm not sure how much they can really watch that stuff and learn from it. Besides, a lot of it can, you know, like, right. as you well know, happens outside the set. So, sure. you know, you don't necessarily know what's going on there. Yeah, yeah. And I guess especially if you're on G&E side, just even the discussion about building the the... EQ list and the conversations that are going into that. I yeah. could just see that being so much more beneficial for what you were trying to learn 
versus the camera EQ list. I mean, because one one is like dealing with how you're going to light these places and why. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, and especially you know back then before any of the LEDs were around. I mean, we were using you know huge numbers of amps and where we were going to pull them from and. I mean, I remember tying into a place in, New- in Newport <laughs> Beach. I had no way to get a Trico on. It was back in the old Trico days. Yeah. And I literally ended up finding a butter knife that I drove in between a couple of, of posts. Oh, my God. And, uh, and we were pulling like 200 amps. <laughs> lucky you didn't it. get electrocuted. No, I know. It's so lucky. I can't even tell you. But anyway, oh, I think it was by the time the end of the night came around, that thing, all of, all of the chrome had pe- peeled off of it. Wow. And it was glowing like bright red. Wow. So I think the uh, if anybody's out there is interested, the uh, the maximum amp load on a butter knife is about a hundred amps. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you you were on the G and E side for I think it was like 10, 10 years, right? Like it was yeah, a, it was a yeah. solid amount of time. Yeah, I mean, I uh, there's a lot of stuff that I did, you know, documentaries and stuff that I started way before you know IB, uh, IMDb was keeping track. So I, oh, okay. I, uh, I started in the business in eighty, started dabbling in eighty four, eighty five. Uh, and then uh, really started, you know, hitting it hard. I mean, I shot my first film as a DP in 89, like, you know, thinking that I, I'd learned everything I needed to learn. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, and then didn't shoot again for 21 years. But, wow, uh, wow. But, uh, yeah. Within that, like, 10-year G&E period, were you, because I wanted to ask, like, because I always ask what people think were kind of like the bigger breaks in their career. Did you have those as well on the G&E side, like, as a gaffer? Like, was it because of... um you know, you had some really good DP relationships and like, did, does anything stick out as like the high yeah, points yeah. of I mean, the Gaffer years? For a, for a number of DPs, uh, Robert Primes is one, mm-hmm. Levy Isaacs is one, uh, both ASC members, John Flynn, who's in the ASC, John Flynn III, who's an ASC member, mm-hmm. uh, Lifetime Achievement Award winner from the ASC. Um, you, you were know, gaffing were, for them? Yeah, all three of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's got to be the best possible way to learn. Absolutely. I, I absolutely. can't imagine any other way yeah honestly. no I mean that's and that's really kind of where it comes from you know it's uh you know you get to a point also in a new relationship is I'm sure you know with a with a cinematographer where they really count on you especially when time when there's a time crunch to to interpret you know what they might want even this you know without without speaking a word sometimes so you really kind of get into a groove with them and you and you begin to read them and you almost feel like you know you're really really part of it and, and that's that's at least, I think, where the the cinema, you know, where the the legs to to kind of move up come from on the gaffer side. And it's got to be cool seeing. I'm sure all three of them had different styles. Um, do you feel like you were taking different things from them in terms of what aspects how, of like what you liked how they approach things versus maybe some other things that like you're like I want to kind of steer away from that? Were there individual things that you felt like you were pulling from yeah. them? And- yeah, I don't know necessarily individual things. I mean, I, I definitely learned their different approaches and, and their different styles, and I'm sure, you know, stole from them endlessly. But, um, but more than that, I think it's, it's about kind of developing an eye that you can develop with, uh, with watching a cinematographer, that some things work, some things don't. Hard works great here, maybe not so great there. Uh, this doesn't look great on, you know, some women... That does, uh, you know, stuff like that. And that can all kind of like be interchangeable, obviously, with, you know, with different kinds of light. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a Mole Richardson light anymore, as, right. we, as we all know. And, yeah, uh, yeah. But that's all we had at the time. Are there, are there any um, films that stand out uh, that you gaffed that were, I don't know, your favorite one to work on or your favorite end product? Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I did uh, I did a film uh, with a cinematographer and a director that I'd worked with a number of times, Bill Condon and, and uh, Steve Katz was the, was the cinematographer. He shot the Blues Brothers, mm-hmm. and Billy is obviously very well known. Um, so uh, we did a movie called Gods and Monsters, which we did on uh, no budget, uh, 19 days, uh, and uh, and it was just an incredible experience. And what Steve, made it so? Just because the whole crew kind of came together it was and one, bonded just one of in those. a way. Yeah, it was one of those. And yeah. it, was a, it was a rare time. It was a time in L.A. when everything was organizing. You couldn't do anything anywhere near Los Angeles without you know, having the union get involved. And, uh, and this crew, you know, most of them were union, and we just felt like this particular movie couldn't be made any other way. And, and you know, it was 
uh, and that it, it had to kind of just get done. And so we, we kind of bonded together and did it. Uh, I mean, they rebuilt the, uh, the Bride of Frankenstein set uh, for some of the stuff. You know, we did some World War One trench stuff, flashbacks. I mean, you know, it was just an amazing, you know, and Ian McKellen and Brandon Fraser. I mean, to watch them when, you know, Vanessa Redgrave. I mean, geez, Louise, what, what yeah. more can you ask for? Yeah, no, that, that, mm-hmm. that sums it up. Um, when you were, because I, I had spoken to um, in a previous episode with Robbie Baumgartner, mm-hmm. and it was really interesting to hear him talk about the the moment in time where he did decide to like push towards being a DP and that it had been really difficult for him. And he was just talking about uh, working with so many um, incredible DPs and on, on like the biggest, he was just nervous about the, the jump and also worried about the jump financially too. What was that thought process like for you? Uh, it was completely bass backwards, like most things in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I had been trying to move up for, for a number of years, uh, and hadn't, and, you know, I did shorts and I did, you know, PSAs and uh, on the weekends and, and, uh, and just nothing was clicking, nothing was happening with it. And, and I finally got to a point where I, you know, I said to myself, I'm, I'm happy being a gaffer. I really enjoy this. And if that's the way it is, then that's the way it is. And, uh, and um, literally like two months later, uh, the cinematographer, uh, Michael Bondolin, that I was working with on Felicity at the time, asked me to start shooting some of the second unit on Felicity. And Did he know that you were really like trying to do that? Did yeah, I mean, yeah. And we had a great partnership on that show. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, he, he knew that, you know, obviously that I was, that I was interested in doing it, but, uh, but, you know, that I could light too. And so... Um, and I knew the show. I'd been there from the beginning. So yeah, it's an ideal moment. Really. Yeah, absolutely. Now the union didn't think so. You know, they came in and, <laughs> they, and they shut they me did. down. And then, <laughs> so I thought, well, okay, that was you know that was that. Uh, but they shut. They, they, just they yeah they they came in and and grieved the show for for having a non six hundred member working as the cinematographer, which I totally understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it it's very hard to move from. The, the electricians union into the into camera they don't they don't make it easy so mm-hmm. uh and then purely by chance uh another friend of mine was talking to another director that we'd worked with on a, on a number of shows and and the cinematographer that we'd normally worked with wasn't available and he called me and asked me if he'd heard that i'd been shooting on felicity and he said you know will you come shoot this little this little uh tv movie for me and I said, sure. And his only prerequisite thing that, you know, his, his only request was that I bring the crew that he knew. <laughs> so that was, that was what got me the job. I could bring everybody that he knew. Nice. So, yeah. And was there, was there, cause you must've also been getting continual calls to continue for gaffing bigger, big projects. Was it, there must've been a moment where you had to decide to start saying no. Right. Yeah. You know what? I, uh, yes. I mean, I, I think that, that after, so after I shot that, project I got my card that that show went union I got my card I went straight back to Felicity and shot in a full entire season of Felicity well yeah you got your card now yeah exactly right so and and what had happened was we had also done the pilot for um alias in between the two seasons so that they'd picked up both shows and they needed to split the crew so so Michael moved over to start shooting alias and I stayed and and finished up on Felicity the last season so it was an incredible opportunity but you know it was you know, then I did 22 episodes of television right away, yeah. and then magically cut a reel that sure. ended up in somebody's lap. That was the one guy that found one shot in it that he, you know, thought was amazing, and and hired me to come shoot a TV show because the DP that they had hired had fallen out. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So because I was going to ask, like it the. The, the at least from IMDb, which obviously doesn't tell the whole story, but that it's like the transition from gaffer to DP at a very high level for network television. It was like you hit, transition and hit the ground running flawlessly on paper, and it's kind of like this explains it. Yeah, but you really, you really did. And I mean, what, were you um, just happy that you? switched over and now you're doing television or oh, were you yeah, trying absolutely. to shoot other things? Well, like other uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I've always, you know, I always wanted to do, you know, more feature work. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know, especially at that time, I mean, people really kind of bought yeah, TV you wasn't in what was, yeah. cause this was around, yeah. the t- around 2000, 2000. Yeah. 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 2000. Let's see. I took a, I did the agency. So at Felicity 2000, 2001. And I think I did the agency in 2000, 
2001, 2002 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I remember it was a it was a show about the CIA and we were we were it was right after 9/11 and it was just a really oh, yeah. hard time to be doing stuff like that. But anyway, I'm sure. Um, so uh, so the uh, that show was an amazing experience because. Uh, we went to a different part of the world every week, and so there was a different look to kind of come up with with, oh, with new directors. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, but I could but, see how it must have been pretty pretty seamless. Just since you were gaffing on those shows for so long, I could see it not being. What what um what challenges do you, if you recall, like that you had where once you were finally in the DP's chair, that anything catch you by surprise, or did you not? realized that it was going to be that way until doing it like nothing that no matter how much knowledge you had on the gaffing side that only once you were doing it did you start to realize certain aspects of, of the craft i would say i didn't pay enough attention to the directors that were really great at blocking so that's interesting when when a, when a director came in that wasn't necessarily uh great at it i i wasn't able to help as much as i as i wished i could i i didn't i didn't see stuff kind of that coming in sense. an elegant that's way that's in the yeah. gaffer's blind spot because yeah, like totally, you're not doing totally, that at yeah, all exactly i mean you're just watching the marks and you're figuring out what the light angles sure. are and you're completely occupied with other stuff at the time right so how long do you think what do you think you weren't understanding about it that you then became better at when it, in, in regards to blocking well i mean I, I think that blocking can be a uh uh a really important part of the scene and in, in in its in oh, its man. essence it's like and elegance and 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 simplicity too you know sometimes it can make the difference between whether you make a day or not you mm -hmm. know uh, you know how many shots you have left over <laughs> yeah. so uh so you know it's it's a combination of all the above and and you know can you you know, not that it would be something to jump in that often, but occasionally, you know, you make a suggestion, and if they want to take it, it's great. You know, yeah. and, and it can and it can really make a difference. Yeah, and I would imagine that the, another thing that you weren't doing as a gaffer, of course, was the type of prep that a DP does. And how was that transition for you? Like, were well, you creating you know, your own rituals the, as you get as you went? The first shows that I did, I ended up, you know, as the only uh, cinematographer. So I mean, I you know, both on Felicity and on the agency, they were. They were, I was the only DP there was, yeah. so um, it wasn't until a couple of years later that I joined the CSI team, CSI New York, that, you know, I started alternating for the first time, mm -hmm. and really realized, you know, how valuable it was to have all that prep time with the director for every episode. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing way to work. Now... Uh, it's also, you got to give up, you know, half of the cinematography on the show too. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, which is kind of hard sometimes. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I was talking with, um, Carmen Cabana actually, and, and she was saying that cause she had done, oh, the name of the show is escaping me, but it's on Hulu right now. And she had done the first season in its entirety. Mm -hmm. And then when the second season and she got a second cinematographer to take half the load, she was so happy about it because she can go back to having that type of prep time and being able to kind of have more of an ebb and flow versus just like pedal to the metal the entire time. That's what it is. I mean, I, you know, on, on Saul, I, I, you know, um, we're in Albuquerque, so I do have a, a certain amount of free time that allows me to spend some time on the weekends and, you know, and lunches and stuff like that with the directors, mm -hmm. uh, which is invaluable. But, uh, but it, she's absolutely right that the time that you have to kind of let stuff marinate and really kind of develop ideas just doesn't exist in, yeah. in, in unless you have that prep time. Yeah. And I mean, and you were going from, from one major television series to another in those early years. Do you, cause I, you know, I like asking if you felt like there was any project that was your big break in the beginning, but I guess maybe even just the opportunity to move over to Felicity in the way you did, that seems like it. Would you oh, say absolutely. so? I would. Yeah, yeah, I would absolutely agree. That was, that was definitely the big break. I mean, I think that, that Michael was largely responsible and his support was really largely responsible for That's that. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, it was so much television after that for yeah. like, just like even like CSI New York, I was saying like you did 48 episodes. Yeah. I, I, and that's alternating. So, you know, wow. uh, yeah. So, so over just a longer period of time. Yeah. Yeah. When you're doing something for that, cause I'm just curious about you're living in a world for so long. Yeah. Um, I could see that I don't know. Is like part of it? You're just trying to figure out how to keep it interesting for yourself personally. Like, what? What is yeah, that game? To a certain extent, um, uh, you know, we really became a, a tight knit team. I mean, first off, I have to start by saying the reason I stayed there for so long was two twofold. 
one, uh, my daughter was growing up in LA and, and jobs were beginning to disappear out of, out of town. And so mm. it was kind of precious to me to be able to stay there for that, those informative years. So that's it's kind why of amazing I, of, a, of a gig to get for, for that reason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, consistency. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Seven years of, you know, driving out to CBS Radford every day from, from the West you side. You were a, cor- yeah. a company man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Punching the clock. Yeah. But, um, but you know, they also, we also did some really interesting stuff on that show. You mm. know, they built... Uh, uh, you know, we did. I did some underwater. Season three, we did a an under a sunken subway car in the Hudson River that was in a big tank out in the San Fernando Valley. Wow! I actually, put um, the uh, hydro. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Thirty-four foot hydroscope. 40 feet underwater with two underwater with two operators on scuba equipment for yeah, the entire awesome. day being able to make crane moves underwater which was like one of the craziest things I've ever done um, we did uh, they built uh, an, a replica of the outside of the the Chrysler building with the, you know with one of the eagles and mm-hmm. there was a guy standing you know we had a big green screen behind it but they had we had the whole corner of the building they did a replica of the crown of the interior of the crown of the Statue of Liberty and the exterior um, which were, I mean, they're just fun, you know, things that you, you know, you had to really, I could see why it would keep you around, you know, yeah. like, like because of that, that all sounds super fun and interesting. And, but it, it is fascinating to hear cause everybody has their version of, I wouldn't call it a sacrifice, but you know, making choices because of other like family obligations and things like that. And it's nice to hear about, um, because everybody goes through them. And I, because during seven years is a long time to be on one oh, project. Like, were absolutely. you getting to the point of like worrying about like your ability to to either just work with other other studios or work with other genres and formats? Like, was that a concern? Absolutely, that you had? no, absolutely. Because I mean, I just when my career felt like it was beginning to kind of fall into place, I I just parked myself and mm-hmm. and uh, and didn't meet anybody, didn't do anything because we were doing again, we were doing twenty two, sometimes twenty four episodes it's a season. TV. I mean, it's so we had three months off. Like you took that three months off, yeah. You know? And uh, so that was it. I mean, that's literally all I did for seven years. Um, so it's uh, it's definitely not a great career move, but you know, I mean, it's it's a you Those know, it's a quali- you yeah, absolutely. It's a, you know, it was a quality of life thing, and I, yeah. I wouldn't trade it for a second. No, and it, I'm curious because after that, and you know, IMDb doesn't show everything, and there might be commercials or something, but from 08 to 12 was was a um, a period that isn't really listed. Really? Yeah, and I don't know, if, like maybe you were you you were. Oh no, working. I was there. I was on I was on CSI New York. I was there from 06 to 12, which is when I was. Left oh, and maybe it's grim. just a weird way of them of them of, like, yeah, just listing the years. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. No, I was there. The, right. I was there that whole time, and then uh, and then one of the directors that I'd been working with um, on another, just by coincidence, on another project that we had met on, and then he came in as one of our regulars, Noberto Barba on uh, CSI New York, mm-hmm. was the showrunner on Grimm, and so he was the one that called me. Gotcha. Um, and and it was time to kind of make a change. I had a. I was wondering, like, how does how does seven years come to a close? Like, what what was it be? Were you kind of like forced into into moving on, or it, was there something about wanting to like to have something new? Like, uh-huh. wh- where was that? Where was that place? Um, it was a there was a personal thing that kind of happened. Okay. Um, there was a death in the family that I just I literally said to myself, and my daughter was she was much older. I mean, sure, she yeah. was uh, 18, 17, 18, it, and I just said I can't go back and work one more day on that stage it's like, a, a, a like in the labs flip. yeah yeah it was just it was yeah literally just like a switch went off I just couldn't couldn't bring myself to do it because I just you know I was dealing with emotions and yeah. you know and stuff like that and it just felt like getting out of town and to start fresh kind of new, with a new project seemed like it would be something that would be good for me wow uh, when you had that when you had that feeling did did you have in your mind what a new thing would be what it would look like no no i i mean i you know the the interesting part on new york we never knew from year to year if the show was going to get picked up mm. so they wrote kind of a, a series finale for season seven season eight season <laughs> nine well yeah when you're getting that many seasons you don't know when it's gonna yeah exactly right so uh, and we were barely making the i mean we were kind of the little show that that snuck under the wire we didn't get the attention of Vegas and and nor of Miami and so uh, nor their numbers, but it also allowed us to kind of fly under the radar and do our own thing and mm. and be left alone. So, but so we had done a series finale for season seven, mm-hmm. and then we did it again for season eight, and that was when I 
said, so I was there from two to eight. Yeah, you were like, uh, this is actually my series finale, no matter what yeah, happens yeah, exactly, with, the, with yeah. the show. Well, I didn't know until <laughs> afterwards, but it was, it was, yeah, it was definitely time to. Yeah, time to and so then when you wake up that day and you're like, I'm not going to go back to that. What are your, how did you view how to make moves to to the next thing? Um, well, you know, I my agent had been kind of um, itching to, to do something different mm-hmm. and I just called him and said, you know, let's, let's see what happens. And, uh, and just, you know, by coincidence, you know what, um, on Grimm, there was the same thing. They had done the first season with Court Fi, shot the entire first season and he was just, they practically killed the guy. I mean, it was a, it was a real handful. So mm-hmm. they brought in a local cinematographer, um, as an alternating and, and, Court had moved on, and so they were looking for another guy. And you know, it was another show that I got to go to and, and alternate on, which, which was a lot of fun. And being in Portland, and I mean, it was just a real, real fun start. And could you tell kind of immediately that your decision to go to something new was the right call for, for yeah. you mentally and all of that? I mean, you know, other than the than the hours on that series, which were I'm mean, not Brutal. necessarily long hours, but there were some. But we were in, you know, it was an, it's a show, uh, it's a supernatural kind of show, mm-hmm. you know, with, with lots of ghouls and monsters. So, you know, it's it's not as scary in the daytime for most of it. So, I, you know, we were True. into nights by Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. We were, you know, there was not a single non-fratter day in the yeah. bunch. You yeah. Know? It just yeah. didn't happen. So, so that was, you know, that was kind of it. You, know, you know, you were committed to the third shift for the for the end of the week no question but you were it sounds like you were enjoying it though oh yeah it was and visually it was just it was a it was a lot of fun and how cool to go from something that's a bit you know the csi series stuff is a bit kind of high and tight and very consistent and now you get to go to something that i would imagine is super moody just because of the content being more in the in the scare zone like absolutely that must absolutely. have been that it must was, have been really nice a lot of after fun. seven years of yeah. you know high key network yeah yeah well and also you know it was new york too so we were working in downtown la from a lot of our locations i mean we were traveling to new york once a year but but you know we Just were grab some real exteriors type y- stuff. Y- yeah 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 we for for sweeps every in, in october we went and shot a week or a little bit more than a week, uh, a day, a little bit more than a day for for five episodes that would happen during sweeps. So, yeah. So, you know, to tie in the city, uh, which, you know, I managed to fool a lot of people. I mean, everybody thinks that those CSIs were all shot in the, in their relative towns and not a single one of them. Is. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, that, yeah. There's a reason that they're making them and it's not because they're expensive. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's the yeah, opposite. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, then what was the journey like to Breaking Bad? How, how did that come about for you? So uh, it goes all the way back to CSI New York again. Really? I, yeah. So my loader on CSI New York was a uh, was a guy by the name of Jordan Sloven, and Jordan. Okay. Uh, was, I already know where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, so Jordan was working with this. I mean, he's way overqualified for the job, but he was an amazing source of information and ideas and real collaborator. But uh, his wife uh, started. She's a producer on Breaking Bad, was from the very beginning, Melissa Bernstein, and she would come by and visit him uh, sometimes when she was in town or, you know, in between, and uh, and we would hear all of these stories about, you know, what was going on in New Mexico, and the show just sounded like an amazing project. Yeah. Um, and so Jordan moved on uh, from us and went to start assisting on Breaking Bad, uh, I would say season two or three of Breaking Bad, and uh, they called me at the end of uh, at the end of their season four to come in and do some reshoots for them uh, because of Jordan's recommendation. And so I came in and I did some reshoots. Isn't that and awesome? Like your loader getting you, yeah, like, an, yeah. an unbelievable gig. No, it was really just I mean so cool. Yeah. And and the, you know both he and Melissa are, are great friends of mine to this day. They're mm-hmm. just amazing people, and you know she's incredible at spotting talent and mm-hmm. I, I mean not that you know uh, that that was something that was that critical but I you know to come in and do some inserts but or you know some pickups hey, but, don't tell yourself short they were beautiful yeah, inserts okay but anyway so <laughs> uh but through that stuff they were happy with all of the footage that I'd shot yeah. and uh they asked Michael Slovis called me uh right before they started season five and asked me if I would come and shoot uh this season opener for him that he was directing and so wow. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was the beginning of the relationship. Now, unfortunately, actually, that was actually right before I went up to do Grimm. And so I was not available to come back, uh, at the end of the season, um, because I was on Grimm and, uh, and Arthur Albert went in and then he eventually ended up starting Saul with them. And, Mm. and, uh, and then when Arthur moved on, 
Um, I was, uh, Melissa brought me in again to meet with the guys and, That's great. and, and it hit it off yeah. and here we go. When you get brought into a show like that, um, and especially, I mean, I, just from even in my circles, it gets spoken about, like it was just something really special, not obvi- obviously the content and what happened with the show itself, but just the making of it. What do you think, what is it about like Vince Gilligan's set that has that special sauce? Like, what do you think is going on that? Is there anything that you could put your finger on that, that makes it work so well? Well. Yeah, we'll just, I think yeah, it's okay. Yeah, okay. Um, a car, car horn going outside in Philly. Yeah, right, exactly. What a surprise. Uh, Vince brought a visual language to Breaking Bad uh, that was very defined, I think, and... and more so really, than other directors you work with, with, with well, I mean, it was his it? show. You know, it yeah. was he was the you know he was he was the creator. He had written it. I mean, it was his baby from the beginning. So uh, he uh, and I, I mean, I, you know, all of those wide landscapes, those you know, mm-hmm. those big wide shots, those interesting angles and places that you know you weren't used to seeing. I sure. mean, that was all kind of him. And uh, and I, you know, Saul has a as a very different kind of planted visual language in uh, in comparison to Breaking Bad, but mm-hmm. in a lot of ways it is very similar in, in those big grand shots and, mm-hmm. and some of his original vision. So, you know, we're always kind of thinking in that way, thinking more in a feature style. Um, oh, for sure. It's, uh, it's um, but I mean, even more than, than necessarily like shot choice. I mean, even for the, sh- you know, the shots that they stay in editorially, uh, you know, are much more kind of, uh, theater shots than they would necessarily be, uh, you know, you know, traditional TV shots. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, we've probably been helped by the fact that you know the average TV is a 65-inch TV these days. Yeah, but, yeah. If it's not a mobile phone, but anyway, uh, so that language all kind of came from him, uh, I think, early on, and he and Peter Gould are just fantastic supporters of cinematography and. How, what how I so? Do. Like, like different because it, it sounds notably co- comparatively to other experiences. So, what are they doing that makes it that much more? Let's. Well, here I'll just give you an example. The first day after I'd been offered the job and I accepted it on, on Breaking the, Bad. Uh, uh, no, on uh, on Saul. Okay. On, on Breaking Bad, I really kind of followed Michael's lead in a lot of ways. I didn't want it to well, jump out. And, yeah. Well, yeah. Before we get into Saul, because I was curious about that. I'm always curious, especially when it happens a lot more on TV that you are being directed by someone who is formerly a DP of the same show. Yeah. And so now you're also being, not only are you being directed by someone who knows your craft inside and out in a way that, you know, obviously a, a director that's never been a DP would never be able to talk to you in that certain way. But then you're, that person is also the one that set the look initially. Right. So that kind of conversation and having your ability to be your own cinematographer in that moment, I could see that might potentially be constrained by who you're working with? It depends, I suppose, on the director. I've never really had that experience. Yeah, that's Michael cool. was, uh, he, you know, he, like everybody else on that show, enables people to do their best work. Mm-hmm. And so we had a number of dinners together and talked about the script, talked about ideas. And also, you know, he also gave me one of the pieces of advice that I still cherish to this day that, that the cinematography has to be driven by the story, has to be driven by the script. You know, it's, it's. Didn't you know that before that? Mm, I, I mean, I, I think I, I mean, I knew it, but I didn't really know. know. How to practice I didn't it. really know it. And the, the problem is, my problem at the, was that I had spent seven years on a show that had absolutely no correlation at all. Uh, oh God, yeah. Well, so, it would probably instill bad habits and, and yeah. That kind of thing. I mean, we we did you know whatever we could do to to make it flashy and, mm-hmm. and shiny and and kind of take your mind off the fact that maybe things didn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, so. its values are based in a totally different mindset. Absolutely. So so that was so I really thought about that and really sat on it and and uh, it's you know even I find even to this day if I'm if I'm sitting on the set and I can't come up with an idea, like if I go back to the script and I really read it again, something will come about. And mm. and it's it's been a well that I've gone to many times. Thanks, Michael, wherever you are. I haven't yeah. talked to you in a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's 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 awesome. And uh, I guess I'm not surprised to hear that. And I would suppose that that's because I asked originally, what is it that the Breaking Bad team is doing that makes it so elevated, not just in the content, but in the experience of making it? Yeah. And it sounds like it is that um, supportive nature of things. 
They have uh, both uh, Vince and and Peter have this amazing ability to really enable people to do their their best work, and they uh, they foster that kind of feeling on set. Is it set just like an inclusivity thing? At, well, yeah, I mean, I you know, the fact that ideas can come from anywhere, yeah. you know, a great idea can come from anywhere. Well, I, t- I took um, notice when you were even describing the attributes of your loader before, and you were just talking about how he had great ideas. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's kind of also cool that you're even considering ideas from a loader. Yeah, well, I mean, here's here's another one. Uh, Jesse Heidenfeld, our loader on, uh, on Saul, mm-hmm. um, he... That ant sequence that was just on last week. Yeah, we watched it last night, actually. It, it was, uh, that was all done on that Laua lens, which I would never have even known about if it wasn't for Jesse. I mean, yeah. Jesse brought it to us. Like, yeah. I mean, he was so largely responsible for, for what we were able to do because we had a tool that was capable of doing stuff I'd never seen before. So, mm-hmm. so that was, you know, it was... Uh, and just staying open to it and listening to everybody. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, I mean, the ideas can come from anywhere. They're not closed off and, and it's, it's fostered for, through everybody. And it's, I think it's a very important, very important thing. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great, great way to work. And, and also, I mean, I'll say... You know, first off, the the writing on both shows is absolutely stellar, and so when the words are there, like it, yeah. it really makes our job. Yeah, a well, lot it starts easier. there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the content you're being asked to shoot is just you know best in class. So yeah, but I mean, and so and then what I was trying to say earlier and got sidetracked because yeah. I saw something shiny, but um, <laughs> was that I, I had lunch with fault. with Vincent Peter. And uh, the very first time I went out with him I, after taking the job and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they both said to me, we would rather you go too far mm-hmm. and have to reshoot something than, than feel like you're not going far enough. How great is that? It's phenomenal. That's I mean, it's the, the most best. liberating thing anybody can ever tell a cinematographer. Have you ever gone too far? I would imagine it would be hard with them. I don't think I have yet on Saul, although we have had to do a couple of little things, but... Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, yeah. I've been lucky that way, I guess. But but I have definitely in my career. I mean, I've definitely gone too far. What comes to mind when the first oh, like that? Uh, you know, just riding the edge. You know, in in thirty five. Uh, oh, okay, exposure we, we were, and stuff. Yeah, mostly yeah, that makes exposure. Sense. That would know? be where it would. That we would were, be where it would be yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like yeah, no, there's no information. Yeah, there's just it's not <laughs> we don't there. we yeah, don't have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, we were shooting in forty five degree shutter. Oh yeah, shoot, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, well, we, we um, this whole this whole thing about talking about Breaking Bad first because when we were going to get to Saul, um, that was that was obviously more of a, of a load for you than than Breaking Bad was, and just in terms of how many episodes that you're doing and how much you get to work on it. Um, what was that? What was that experience like? I guess differently than Breaking Bad, and that knowing that you're going to have much more of the storytelling responsibility on your shoulders. Uh, it was, uh, it was exciting, uh, and, you know, and, and interesting, I guess one of the big things that, that, uh, that happened early on was Vince was directing the first two episodes that I shot uh, on season three. Um, so I got to kind of explore the whole thing with him and kind of figure it out, but we had more nights, he said, in that first, in those first two episodes than, than they had done, than the first two seasons combined. Mm So the show was really kind of moving in a darker direction and and kind of heading that way. And I brought a new camera in that we used for a lot of the dark night stuff, uh, the Panasonic Vericam, you know, uh-huh. with the dual ISO, yeah. shooting at 5,000. You know, it just wouldn't have been doable on the red for some of the stuff that, mm-hmm. that we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, and he, you know, he and Peter both loved that and, and thought it was really fun to be able to do stuff that was kind of more... Yeah, felt a little bit more natural lighting wise. So, uh, you know, used a lot of practicals, lots of street lights and stuff like that. So, um, but, uh, it was, uh, it was, a, it was, it was a big load. I mean, I, it was definitely felt like I had some serious shoes to fill both, you know, both with Michael and with Arthur. Were there like, there must've been were there nerves you're talking about a little bit i mean you know obviously you want to do the best job you can put your best foot forward yeah um i inherited uh one of the my favorite operators that i've ever worked with paul Donacci, and the the whole camera crew there mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, uh chris norris and rob saliati those guys i mean they they are they are an amazing crew 
and they made my they made my job so much easier. And Paul is an operator, and so is Matt, my B camera operator. They they both bring so much to the table visually that uh, that it really it really kind of took a load off. And I realized that right away that that I you know that something special was kind of happening. And and uh, and you know we were because all of the crew kind of, vibe. Uh, more than that, I would say more like the, the crew collaboration. You know, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. they, those guys all brought great ideas. They brought so much to the table, and and you know, yeah. of course, I get credit for it all. But but uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a team effort. It is yeah. absolutely a team effort. And it seems like that's coming from Vince on down. That he is just like that's kind of the the set itself, especially when it's coming from from up top like that, and that inclusivity and the collaboration stuff. In terms of like cultivating the relationship, not just with Vince, but I guess I want to ask with directors in general, how do you feel you, you go about it? Is there anything that, you, that you're thinking about proactively in that t those types of conversations? Or is it something that is it's just more everyday? Uh, well, yeah, we're trying to come up with you know, some interesting ideas and, and, you know, uh, that you know, stay within the, the visual storytelling of the show. Mm -hmm. you know, I, have to, uh, I have to say that you know, Vince is actually working kind of more as a hired gun now. I mean, he obviously developed the show, but but Peter's actually running the show. So the day-to-day -day okay. contact and the big decisions are made by Peter Gould. So mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, Vince comes in and directs every year, which is which is always a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, he's, it's great to hang out with him. But um, so, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I, it feels like they really kind of enable that ability to, to you know, to do whatever you want to bring and and we're always in working with the directors with the you know the the incoming directors with visual ideas pitching ideas I mean I remember when Dan Sackheim came in I pitched him on the um it was a uh, episode in season three where Chuck who was still alive at the time uh had a uh, uh his wife it was a flashback of his his ex-wife coming to dinner and and he had this meltdown because she had this cell phone and we did one of his meltdowns with a hand crank 2C camera where we were rolling backwards and forwards. People think oh, wow. it was all done in post and it was all in camera. Oh, cool. And, uh, and that was a pitch that I, you know, I threw out 12 ideas and that was the one he picked and okay. it worked out to be a, you know, a, a really great thing. But no, that's so awesome. You, you're coming up, you know, you just come up with, with fun stuff and see where it leads you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. And then, you know, I think it's pretty special that when Vince was, coming together to do El Camino and to, to, to give that kind of like almost send off finale of a movie yeah. um, that you were tapped for it. Um, I mean, that's got to be really special. It, um, it was the, uh, one of the most amazing things. It was, an, first off, it was an incredible experience. The whole show, the yeah. whole movie was an incredible experience. But to get that call, knowing that, you know. And there, that, you worked with so many over the course of the show, like for it to be you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, there, and I don't think there's a cinematographer in town that wouldn't have picked up the phone for him. Hell you know? yeah. I was like, I mean, you know, I mean, just, yeah, just to, just, and that's him. I mean, that's just kind of, you know, his loyalty mm -hmm. and. Uh, and you know, and him knowing everybody, and he just in the inclusivity of, of wanting to get the whole team back together again and do something special. You know, I, he just would never have been in him to bring in a whole different group of people to do you yeah. know, the last, yeah, you know, yeah. Breaking Bad moment. When you were talking about the visual, <clears throat> you know, the things within your, within your purview for El Camino, and then relating it back to Breaking Bad. What were the conversations like in terms of what you wanted to kind of keep similar so that it felt like Breaking Bad, but that you were also kind of pushing it forward because, you know, years have passed and like you, you were, I'm sure you weren't going to confine yourself terribly. Well, what was that push and pull conversation like when you were thinking well, about it? Well, I mean, the movie definitely takes place in two worlds, which is, you know, this kind of newer world that we're discovering as Jesse's kind of trying to find, you know, his freedom, but mm -hmm. also in the world of flashbacks where we're literally flashing back into moments after or even the exact same moment that, that was already photographed in Breaking Bad. Right. Um, one of the big things that, that he and I talked, that Vince and I talked about like on our first conversation was the aspect ratio and, mm. and wanting to do it in widescreen, whether that means, you know, anamorphic or spherical, we were still going to kind of figure it out, but we definitely wanted to shoot the movie in widescreen, which meant that, uh, that none of the original footage, even if he wanted to try to lift a moment here or there, that whatever would be usable. So we had to reshoot, you know, like, you know, the, the moment where, uh, where 
uh, Jesse's driving in the El Camino at that, you know, we first discover him going down that dirt road, which is, was a, uh, you know, was time that was already, you know, as he broke through the gate that was already photographed. And yeah, yeah. So I matched all of that stuff. I mean, all the stuff inside the Quonset hut oh, at the, at the compound, like I, uh, yeah, I matched everything yeah. that, no, that Michael sense. had done as much as I could. The compound didn't exist. We had to find, we had to kind of recreate the whole thing, but, yeah. uh, um, yeah. So, so, you know, all of that stuff, obviously, you know, was doing the research, and and looking at Michael's stuff and matching it as best I could, so it felt like it was seamless. But also, you know, I didn't and know how many people have noticed so much, but all of those flashbacks are handheld, uh, mm-hmm. and all of the newer and all of the present day stuff is all anchored kind of more mm-hmm. in a in a kind of a Saul style. So uh, so there, you know, there were very different challenges, both of them, and um, we uh, we brought some different ideas to the table as to how to do well, both of those things, which were, which were a lot of fun. I mean, we actually ended up adding a lot of that handheld look in post. Um, really? Yeah. We, you know, we shot on the area 65, the Alexa 65. You have plenty of room. Plenty of room. And, uh, and so we did a, you know, we did a 10% blow up so they could add that later on. And it was actually really nice to be able to control the level that they yeah, that's, had. I mean, it's it, that's really incredible. To, yeah, to dial it in. Yeah, absolutely. Later, I mean, you literally even in color, we could we could dial it up or down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you know, so then my B camera operator, one of our last days, spent almost the entire day, Matt Cradle, just holding the camera every lens on this, you know, on a board. So, I mean, it's all... So it's they could all, see, so they can mimic, like, real They handheld. used all of that That's stuff. They, all of that movement. The, yeah, it's all organic. None of it's computer generated. It's all... It's all so Matt. they're just tracking Matt's Matt's movements, and then they're putting those key points into the... They're in, applying in, them, they're yeah. They're applying yeah. it to, so, to the finished product for whatever you want. And that's really interesting, because then you could be using it then it becomes a real storytelling device because that shaking and movement can happen on beats on different lines. Like it could, yeah, it could tip I mean, the hand in certain is ways. Very f- f- detailed in that way. I mean, this this was absolutely going to be the way that the flashbacks were were more connected to to Breaking Bad because so much of Breaking Bad was shot handheld. You know, it was, right. it was moving and it was constantly energetic and you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's you know we talked about different visual ideas about how to kind of make sure that. People understood where they were, and and we we explored the 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 ideas about color, and it just seemed so overdone that uh, that was you know we didn't want to try to do you know add a, a sepia tone or a blue color for a flashback or whatever. So um, so it, it you know it was an important part of the storytelling, but I mean also you know in the script it was it was pretty obvious kind of immediately for for the people that knew the show kind of where you were at any given moment. Yeah, so you were yeah that makes sense. So you were just viewing camera movement as your as your device. Yeah. And and didn't didn't bother with like going down the the color wheel rabbit hole. Exactly. Well, especially considering the fact that it was it was kind of interesting, you know, I think for fi- for film people understanding all of the relationships that we might have with color and light and all of these things for, you know, helping us make metaphorical gestures about things. But I felt like Breaking Bad almost it the the, the color stuff went into the zeitgeist. In a way yeah. that it doesn't, for mo- so that you had like non-film people, like you know, like your grandma talking about like the the the, the color usage in Breaking Bad and like how things related to one another and what yeah. it all meant. Yeah. It kind of like got into the into the mainstream discussion about the show and why it was so good. And it's just interesting for Vince to kind of recognize that and like be like, nah, like if we if we when we did it the first time, it was it was pure, and now it's like a gimmick. So we're gonna walk away from that. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, interesting. So you were having those 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 conversations. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, and and you know, kind of exploring them and figuring out kind of you know where they led. I mean, all you know, it's important to you know to talk them through, and and also you know, I mean, he's so far ahead of of you know everybody else essentially on a script, especially like that. You know that he's written in you know, the storytelling that you know he knows right away kind of where he wants to go with things pretty much i mean it's it's great to talk through them and and you know and he does and definitely thinks about but he he's he's got so many details that he's working on that are threaded through you know easter eggs and little callbacks and stuff that they mean a lot of them i didn't even know we were doing it (laughs) sometimes it was it was crazy well you know i think everybody who wants to kind of be working in in a certain vein in the industry like working with intention is like the biggest goal, I, you know, I think for a lot of people, genre comes second to like, as long as we're sh- on a project that really is intentional with its decision making, then, you know, 
I, I want to be a part of it, regardless of, of, of genre or format. Like, that kind of supersedes all of it. And he currently seems like the king. Yeah. That. I mean, how do you, I mean, how do you, when you're trying to keep a show alive, because in the first couple seasons of Breaking Bad, they were, they were you know, yeah. were, were working hard to keep it on the air. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, people hadn't really discovered it yet. And, yeah. and to kind of bake all of these little tiny details about color and people's names and stuff and all of the little callbacks and the Easter eggs and the things he was planting and, and planning to be able to bake that all in and work like crazy to just to keep a show alive. It's, it's amazing, but he managed they all did. I mean, they all managed the whole writers group managed to, to kind of work all that stuff in and it's uh, it's genius. I mean, it's absolute genius. Yeah. 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 Because you never know where it's going to lead either, right? Like when the show gets canceled, that's it. Like, you know, what's, there, there's nothing, there's no Saul to call back from, you know, and mm-hmm. you can't bring all this, you know. So uh, it seems like, you know, it could have ended up kind of backfiring to a certain extent. But, yeah. you know, he was, he was three steps ahead the whole time. Yeah, and now, and now you're, I would imagine, spoiled in a sense. Because like when you're going to other shows, um, I could see that being like tough if it's not being handled with that same level of of thoughtfulness and care yeah I mean I, I you know I feel like uh you know on servant that that it really is there's a real well we're quality. talking about M. Night yeah exactly, so I mean exactly I, you right know, yeah you go from Vince to M. Night I, yeah. I think I think you're doing okay in terms of like who you're working with yeah no absolutely I've been incredibly lucky that way but I I did I had a, an experience on another show that I did up in San Francisco a couple of years ago that uh that just didn't work out I, I you know I it uh the relationship with the producers and their relationship with the rest of the crew just didn't seem healthy to me. Mm. And, um, all of the things, you know, that we were, I was, uh, I was brought in by a producer director, a friend of mine, Michael Morris to come work on the show. And, and we were charged with kind of bringing a new look and style to the show kind of as if, you know, kind of rebooting it. And that's just not at all what happened. And, uh, Mm. and, and it made more sense to me at that point that, you know, I should just kind of Well, it's kind of like so. once you've been treated so well and you could see how good it can be, I mean, your your level of, of uh, with, with, like, withstanding bullshit just gets lower. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, like, and that's right one of the it. best, uh, that's one of the best aspects I would think of a long career with, with a lot of experience. Like, you just be like, no, I'm not going to. I'm just not going to do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's very yeah. true. And, and that's exactly where I got to. And it was kind of a bummer because I was working, you know, in San Francisco, which is where my, my dad lives. I have a bunch of friends oh, up there. Cool. I like to be able to spend some yeah, time with I, them, which yeah. I'd never, you know, gotten to do working in that city. But it just wasn't, it wasn't a healthy relationship. And I just knew I just couldn't continue on. So, yeah. And yeah. then, of course, you know, four days after I left, the, the producer director who brought me, he quit and left too. So Well, it sounded like that was kind yeah. of going, going south yeah, yeah. in a general sense. Well, cool. I mean, um, last thing that I want to talk about when I when I speak with um, ASC members, I like chatting with them a little bit about what that means to them. And like, when 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 were you uh, brought in? Uh, Two thousand eleven. And how how did that how did that happen? Were you and and what what was the experience like for you? Like, um, learning that that was going to be. Well, yeah, I mean, like you know, as I'd said before, there's I I have a number of ASC members that I used to gaff for, which yeah. is which is that actually valuable when you're when you're actually trying to join. Yeah, yeah I would imagine. Uh, but I mean, obviously, you can't. You know, it's you have to be asked. It's not something you can you mm-hmm. can ask for. Um, and uh, a guy that uh, is still a very good friend of mine uh, will be forever, Levy Isaacs, who I gaffed for, mm-hmm. who's uh, the treasurer for the ASC right now, mm. uh, was very instrumental. He, he took me out to lunch and asked me, you know, if I thought I would be, if it was something I was interested in. And I said, absolutely. And he kind of spearheaded getting the other guys that I, that I knew within the society to, to kind of get together because, you, you know, they have to write a letter yeah. and... Uh, and then, you know, it was months and months of kind of prepping a reel and getting ready for the interview and kind of getting, you know, getting set and, and, and confident enough to kind of pitch my stuff and feel like, you know, I, because I mean, that's a, that's a dream come true for, for any cinematographer. Yeah. So it's really intimidating to walk in I'm and go, sure. look at me, I, really, I should be a member, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it, uh, it was an, it was an amazing experience. They were, they were very kind um, and, uh, and it went well and, and, and they asked me to join and 
unfortunately, ever since then, I've been kind of on the road and I haven't been able to spend as much time. Yeah. Uh, I have a mentee from the ASC right now um, that I'm working with. Oh, that's awesome. And, um, and I try to get involved in some of the programs, but unfortunately, it's, you know, typically I'm, yeah. I'm only home for such a short period of time. Yeah. What, what, is it, what does it mean to you to be a member? What I feel like this society stands for is really kind of giving back to young, um, up-and-coming cinematographers, being yeah. there for people that are learning and asking questions and, and, and not being closed with your style or ideas or things that you learn. Mm. Uh, it's important to pass that stuff on and, yeah. and let people grow with it uh, and use it. So yeah. uh, it's, you know, that's, that's kind of what the ASC stood for forever. And, and, and they're incredibly involved in, you know, in neighborhood stuff, but, mo you know, more importantly, you know, with, with younger cinematographers and, and helping kind of foster uh, great cinematography and, and where it comes from and, uh, you know, and how it, you know, how it comes from the heart and, you know, what we're about. So, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's cool because every, every time that I've asked that, that tends to be the answer that members give. So it's nice that it's so consistently said. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's, I, I really, really feel that that's, I mean, that's what's kept it alive as long as it, as long as it's been around, you know, a hundred plus years. It's, uh, is, the fact that you know it, it is so supportive, and and those guys, none of those guys are closed off. You can practically email just about anybody in in the society, and they yeah. will they will write you back. I know I will. So yeah, yeah, cool, yeah, absolutely, cool. yeah. Well, that is an hour. Um, thanks so much for for sitting down and talking about everything. Um, it's it's great to hear um, about your journey and what you've been through. So thank you. Cool, that. absolutely, it's been my pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah.